Alright, thanks guys. We're excited to be here with you all. You guys haven't probably had a chance for, to hang out with me, and I haven't had a chance yet to hang out with you guys. I've been really excited, looking forward to this uh, all summer. And we are going to talk about, as Scott mentioned, some musical worship and singing. But first, I just want to give you guys some candy and get you amped up. So what we're going to do is I want you to understand the power of words. A single word can conjure a lot of things to our minds. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to do a little word association to show you how powerful a word can be. And so we've got nicely divided up rows here. So what I want is I'm going to have four people stand up here at a time. And I want, we're going to start with this side of the room. I want one person from each row to come up here and stand. So we'll, we'll, we'll do a couple rounds of this. So you guys will have it and we'll come to this side of the room next. So come on. One person from each row, come on up. Got candy. Just stand right here. This is not a competition. A little later, I do have a competition for more candy, but this is not a competition. This is just an exercise, a mental exercise. So you get a piece of candy of your choice just for participating, okay? Oh, So the way word association works is I'm going to say a word, and you guys are going to shout out the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay, keep it appropriate. All these categories should be appropriate. Okay, so here's the word, first word. You ready? First thing that comes to your mind, be honest. Food. Pizza. Donuts. Pizza. Hamburger. Hamburger, okay. There we go. That's it. That's a powerful association. Why pizza? Why hamburgers? Why is that the first thing that comes to your mind? Your favorite? I was already thinking of pizza. You're already thinking of pizza. <laughs> hamburgers? Is that your favorite? Yeah? Yeah. Alright. One person from each row over here. The faster we go, the more people can get food, uh, get some candy. <laughs> Can you guys stand over there? That's fine. I got two minutes. You need a representative from the front. Good word, ready? Who's telling her? Pink. Pink. Okay, perfect. All right. That's it? Good job, guys. All right, so that's the first person to reach her over here. Let's go quick. Very quick. I'm going to say a word. If you're not up here, you don't get candy. Go. Ready? Superhero. Batman. Batman. Bat uh, you probably just said it because you heard them say it. <laughs> what do you say? Don't think about it too hard. What did you say, Spider-Man? Right. I think Superman. When I, anytime superhero Thank first you. pops in my head, yeah. Alright, ladies, come on. Next group. Table? Chair. Chair. That's good. 
All right, ladies, send up your group. Send up another one. thing that comes to mind. If you have your Bibles, you can open them or swipe open whatever you got to Romans chapter 12. You also can see in your handout. I made it pretty easy, actually. Everyone's Bible. Do you have a handout? You can follow along. This is uh, We're going to walk through this handout. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What's absent in that description of worship? Do you see singing in there? I didn't see singing in there. That doesn't mean singing isn't worship. But here, you have a more holistic, a more very broad general description of what worship is. And it's a presentation of your whole self, your whole life. Not just your physical body, but Everything, your time, your energies, your body, your mind, your soul is meant to be given to God sacrificially to worship Him, to serve Him, to minister for Him. Okay, so in the new covenant under Christ, we don't have to do animal sacrifices anymore, but yet Paul in this section here still uses a sacrificial term. Just like they used to sacrifice animals, they would die though. Here, yours would be a continual living sacrifice in what you do. That is worship. That is worship. And that's why here at Newcastle and even our music philosophy, we say true worship is a whole person response to the revelation of God. It isn't just a part of your life. It is your life. And it's a whole person response to the revelation of God. You have to hear and receive God's word first. Romans chapter 12 comes after Romans chapter 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And in chapters 1 through 11, it's a bunch of theology about how awesome God, the gospel of God is. And then it bursts forth after you hear the gospel. Paul says, there's nothing left to do but to present your whole life to God as worship. But singing is a part of worship. We have, uh, Scott mentioned, we have a command, we have several, 50 exhortations to sing 
in the Bible and 400 references to singing. For example, Psalm 95 verse 1 says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. So you see, you got a picture there in your handout of a worship pie. That's what I like to call it. It's my worship pie. And then see, worship consists of a lot of different things that we can do. When you put off sin in your life, did you know when you repent of sins in your life, that's worship? When, did you know that as you renew your mind through the reading of God's word, through the sitting underneath of teaching and hearing God's word taught, that's worship? Or when you put on righteousness in its place, that's worship. When you serve one another, we've been talking about the one another's, that is worship. There's lots of things that is worship, and singing is a part of that pie. But I would say it's a small part of the pie. An important piece of the pie, but a small piece. Everything we do ought to be worship, right? You think about 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat, or whether you drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Another way to say it is worship God in everything that you do. Now it's interesting though, Colossians chapter 3 at the top of your handout is kind of my base passage for this morning, my, where I'm camping out, because it's one of our New Testament, New Covenant commands to uh, worship God, and, and, and one of the ways we do that is through singing. But in this passage, it describes singing as a supernatural response, not just a command, but a supernatural response. Let me read it. It says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So just a couple things to point out in this passage before we kind of go on to apply it. Worship, as I mentioned from Romans 12, is triggered by God's word. That's the central command of Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It doesn't command you to sing. It commands you to let God's word dwell in you richly. I like to think about that as um, consuming God's word like you would the candy that some of you are eating right now. And if you didn't get a piece of candy, don't worry. You'll get one before the night's over. But think about a Jolly Rancher. You suck on a Jolly Rancher for a while. What does it do to your mouth? Turns it colors. What's your breath smell like? Whatever flavor you're eating, right? There's a piece of candy from Asia that I've eaten before called a guava. And I don't know how to describe the flavor. Kind of like a uh, citrusy fruit, tropical. But man, it is so, it's really good. But it is so potent that just chew, sucking on one just taints your mouth. And it smelled so strong, my wife could smell it off my breath even from a distance. And so that's the kind of thing we think about. When we let the word of Christ go on us richly, you should be consuming it, reading it, meditating, not like in some weird, like, empty your mind and, mm, not that, but dwelling on it so that you think about what it means and how you apply it to your life. As you do that, it should pour out of you your pores, like sweat. Like I think Spurgeon once said that he, wanted, he read the word so much that if you pricked him, he would bleed biblin, okay, because he, he consumed God's word so much. When you do that, you can't help but talk about the things that you think about. So, the first thing we have to do is steep our minds in God's Word. When we worship God, it has to be based on truth. 
John 4, 24 reminds us that Jesus said, I, God wants people who worship him in spirit and in truth. And God, God's word, as we consume it, it reveals truth to us, and then it produces supernaturally action in us. It produces teaching, admonishing, and singing. And that's what we're going to focus on tonight. But this is a supernatural response of those who are born-again believers when they read God's word. Another way to say it is if you're truly born again and you are consuming God's word, you cannot help but teach, admonish, which is like correcting somebody, encouraging somebody, and singing. To be a Christian is to be a singer. Not optional. The other thing we note in this passage is that it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, I don't see the Holy Spirit mentioned in here. But there's a corollary passage, a parallel passage in Ephesians 5, 19. Very similar idea being taught by Paul in that passage, but he uses a little bit different illustration. He says, instead of let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, he says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So don't be controlled by wine, right? When you, if somebody is drunk with alcohol, they have no control over themselves. They are, in a sense, controlled by the alcohol. Instead, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. When it says be filled with it, it's not like a volume of measurement. Like, uh, I'm a quart low on oil. I'm a quart low on the Holy Spirit. I need to be topped off. That's not what it's saying. It's like the idea of the wind in the sails of a sailboat. The wind fills it and controls it, moves it, directs it. Be under the influence and control of the Spirit. And what happens when you do that? It leads into teaching, admonishing, and singing. So to allow the word of Christ to dwell in you richly is to then be filled with the Spirit. And it produces, he empowers you to do the teaching, the admonishing, and the singing. Then, the last thing we note is that the, in this passage is that this all comes from the heart. To worship God through uh, responding to his word, teaching, admonishing, and singing comes from our hearts. It's a vertical response from our hearts. That means we do it to God, right? It says that we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. There's a vertical component to it. Our heart is full of thankfulness upon reading his word, and our heart agrees with what our mouth is doing. I tell you that every Sunday, in every church around the whole world, there are people who are in there who are singing, but their hearts are not agreeing with what they're saying. You can sing and it not be going up to God. You can, quote-unquote, worship and not be doing something that's pleasing to the Lord because your heart is not in agreement. But there's not only a vertical component. It says that we are to sing hymns and spiritual songs to one another. To one another. There's a horizontal component to our worship. Singing is not just directed to the Lord in private. You can sing to God in private, in your car, or whatever, wherever you are. That's totally fine and totally acceptable. But when we're together corporately like we are now, or on Sunday mornings, whenever we're together in a group, our singing isn't just to God. It is, but also to each other. We're not, you know, sometimes you think about the stereotypical image of somebody worshiping and you see this person with their hands raised, eyes closed in this little personal worship bubble. Just you and me, God. That's okay in one sense, 
but we're also to be singing to one another. Singing is meant for each other. And this happens naturally all over the country in other contexts outside of the church. This isn't just some weird thing Christians do. If you guys go to a football game, baseball game, you're in an audience of 40,000 people or so, strangers you don't know, and when the pregame national anthem comes up, what do you do? You sing with a bunch of strangers you don't know because you're united in your love for the country. Or if you're, you know, watching your school favorite, your high school sports teams play or whatever, maybe even college basketball teams, maybe think about basketball. I used to do this when I was uh, in high school. And uh, the opposing team, uh, one of their players gets five fouls. What happens? They foul out, right? And as they walk to the bench, Head hanging low, you go, na, 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 hey, 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 goodbye. Right, we sing all the time. We sing naturally with the seventh inning of a baseball game. What do we do? Take me out to the ball game. Right? Everyone joins in and does that. Nobody goes, this is weird. I don't know these people. I don't really like this. I ain't really much of a singer. Everyone just does it because we enjoy it. Singing to one another is not a weird thing. Only if you make it weird. Singing is something that we see all throughout the scriptures as well. Back in Genesis chapter 2, I don't know if Adam was singing, but he composed poetry. The first thing he says after Eve is made, he says, This is at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. That's Hebrew poetry. Maybe not be like poetry you think of that rhymes all the time. Hebrew poetry is very different. But that's what music is. It's poetry, it's, it's well-crafted words put to music. Genesis 4, Jabal creates the first instruments. Exodus 15, Moses and Miriam lead singing to celebrate God's deliverance from the Egyptians. Deuteronomy 31 and 32, God commands Moses to compose a national anthem for Israel. 1 Chronicles 16, David creates a bunch of instruments and organizes a bunch of instrumentalists and Choirs made of Levitical priests to lead the worship of God at the tabernacle and eventually the temple. Songs. 150 songs that God wrote. God inspired. The only Holy Spirit inspired hymnal in existence. 150 songs. Different types of music. Different genres. Styles. Different topics. Different emotions expressed ranging from joy to depression. Psalm 88 ends on, a, on a, the seventh note of a scale. leaves you hanging. It says, darkness is my friend. It's a deep lament. There's no resolution to it. So you have... That's how it ends. It's like, oh, just hanging there. There's a whole range there in Psalm 150, and it comes from God's own heart. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas singing in jail together. Revelation 4 and chapter 15 show us these images of heaven. Choirs full of saints and believers and creatures that we have never seen before. Praising God with song. And it's going to be quite a sight because I don't think everyone's going to be singing in English. It's going to be amazing when you see people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. From Thousands and thousands and thousands of years of believers and saints gathered together worshiping God. It's going to be wild. But why? Why does God want us to sing? You ever think about that? 
Why sing God? I mean, why can't we just pray? Why can't we just read the Bible? Why can't we just talk about truth? Why why do we just why not just do Gregorian chant? You know what that is? Like, you know, monotone. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you, God, for salvation. Right? That's Gregorian chant. Why why not just do that? There's a couple reasons. First reason why God wants us to sing is because it's one of the ways we reflect His glory as image bearers. Right? You are all created in the image of God. That means you reflect who God is in this world. And one of the ways you reflect that is through singing. Wait, God is a singer? Oh yeah. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17 says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness and he will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. He's not just a singer, he's a loud singer. Jesus sang. You know, one instance we have is after the uh, upper room discourse when Jesus institutes communion. At the very end, before they leave to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, they sing a psalm together. And I know, based on the Old Testament commands and the sacrificial system that Jesus and, and all the ceremonies that Jesus would have probably sang all throughout his life during the various festivals. We sing because music enables us to reflect God's image. It, em- it enables us to communicate his words with our voices and to be creative with instruments and music, just like God is creative. It glorifies it when we sing. The second reason why, he, why we, God wants us to sing is that singing unites our heart with truth. Now, we don't just sit around and recite Wayne Grudem's systematic theology to each other. We don't just read monotone. We have emotions. And God wants all of our person to worship him. Our whole body, everything that we are. Worship is not just an intellectual exercise. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 38. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. In other words, everything that you are. This is the great and first commandment. So singing helps engage your whole person. Jonathan Edwards is an 18th century preacher up in the Northeast. He said this, he says that the duty of singing praises to God seems to be appointed wholly to excite and express religious affections. No other reason can be assigned why we should express ourselves to God in verse rather than in prose and do it with music. But only that such is our nature and frame that that these things have a tendency to move our affections. And notice he uses the word affections and not emotions. And that's a much richer word. It's not that emotions aren't involved, but affections should be involved too. Affections are your strong inclinations, the strong inclinations of your soul that are manifested in your thinking, your feeling, and your acting, and it's based on knowledge. You could say another say is that this is the way you feel about something because of a conviction you have, something you believe to be important to you. That is something that stirs your affections. It motivates you to move and to do. Emotions, on the other side, are you know, kind of psychologically heightened states of a feeling. And they fall. They rise and they fall all the time, independent of knowledge. All right? So think about like 
times you've been irrationally afraid, you don't want to go to the basement in your house. If you do, you run down there real fast, turn the light on. And if you're leaving the basement, you turn the light off, and then you run really fast up the stairs. Why? You have no rational reason to be afraid. We get worried about things that aren't dependent on anything of knowledge. We get happy. Our happiness rises and falls all the time. That's the difference between emotions and affections. And it is our affections. The affections are long-lasting, deep, consistent with what you believe. Emotions are fleeting, superficial, sometimes overpowering. And they often fail to produce action. But singing triggers those affections we have for God. And it causes us, our heart, to unite with the truth that we know about God from his word. Next, singing. God wants us to sing because it communicates truth. It communicates truth to God. So when we sing, remember, there's a vertical aspect to it. I am praising God through song. I am affirming. That means agreeing with whatever it is I'm saying. So when you sing in church, when you sing with the youth group, wherever it is you're singing together, you ought to be thinking about the words. Not just, you know, it's easy to go through the motions. I've heard this song so many times since I was a kid. Amazing Grace. Who doesn't know that song? But do you know what it is you're saying? Are you thinking about it? And in your heart as you're singing it, are you saying, are you thinking, I agree with this. I believe this to be true. This is awesome. This is amazing grace. We affirm, we confirm things about God, our relationship with him, truthfulness about us. The Psalms give us an example of this. As I mentioned earlier, there's such a breadth of truth and theology. Music, there's different types of music in the Psalms. Different types of affections and emotions are expressed from the highest mountaintop peaks to the lowest valleys expressed in the Psalms. They're so practical. Theology practically couched. That's what the Psalms are. We also sing to each other. How do we, why do we sing to each other? To encourage each other. We sing to encourage each other, teach each other, and admonish each other through song. Think about when you're like at a funeral, how encouraging it is to sing. It is well with my soul. Be still, my soul. Songs like that that bring assurance and remind us of the gospel truth in the midst of great sorrow. Or when we sing at a wedding and celebrate God's goodness and faithfulness. We sing to edify and build each other up, remind each other of the truth of God's word. Which is why it's so important to sing songs that are based in truth and have good things to say. And why we usually stay away from songs that I would call 7-Eleven songs. Seven, seven words sung 11 times. It's not that they're devoid of anything good, but is it the best thing that we can sing together? Is it the most edifying thing? We sing to each other, which is why on a Sunday morning we don't crank the music up to such a level that you can't hear yourself sing. We don't dim the lights so that you can actually see each other when we're singing. We sing different genres and types of music so we can express the full range of emotions and the Christian experience. And why we sing songs that are like a call and response, like, Is He Worthy? That's a call and response song where you have somebody asking a question and then the rest of the congregation responds. Or when we have maybe men and women singing different parts like Behold Our God. You will reign forever. Let your glory fill the earth. Right? We have that call and response. But ultimately when we sing, what, what we're doing, and this is so important, when you sing, you are drawing attention to God. 
You're doing it for everybody around you, and you're doing it for yourself. You're drawing attention to God and praising Him. Think about a football team. Which football team feels more honored? The team that has two fans in the stands or 40,000? Should be a no-brainer question, right? You have two fans in the stands going, Yay, you guys are doing great! As opposed to 40,000 doing it. It's the same thing when we gather together corporately to sing. It is so much more special when we gather together to celebrate God and His victory over sin and death on our behalf. It brings Him more honor. It proclaims His name all the more loudly for all to see. So that means, consequently... When you think about music and worship, it is not about you. Singing is not about you. It's okay to have preferences. It's like, I like this style of music, or I like this. I like it when we have these instruments. That's fine to have preferences. But do you let them get in the way of your edifying each other and directing attention to God? Or do you, are you able to lay aside those preferences, knowing that the first, what the first and foremost goal of singing is? Personal edification in music is secondary. Music ministry, the music team on stage, is not there to please you, but to lead you in directing attention to God. Lastly, well, the reason why God wants us to sing is because it embeds the truth in our hearts. Music powerfully assists our minds. Powerfully assists our minds. There are so many things that you can recall and remember in your head. Just because of music. And I want to show an example of that. So here's the other opportunity for candy. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to either say a name of a company. And the first person to throw their hand up in the air, I will call on you. And you have to sing for me the, um, the, you know, the jingle that represents that company. And if you do, then you get the can- a piece of candy. Okay? So some companies, I'm just going to say the name. Because if I say any of the jingle, it's like... There's not much to the jingle. But I just want to show you how powerful music is. Um, and this is just an example. I mean, we all know our ABCs, right? I'm not going to ask anyone to sing that right now. But just that's something we all learn through song as kids growing up. But here, first one to raise your hand. Who knows the jingle for Farmer's Insurance? Yes. We are farmers. Yeah. <laughs> All right, who knows the jingle for State Farm? Oh, it's all your hand. Yep, in the green shirt. Okay, you get two pieces of candy if you sing it. If you can sing it, I'll give you two pieces of candy. Oh, just one then. Liberty Insurance. Yes, I saw it right here. Yep. You get two pieces of candy. That's nice. That's good. All right. Here's one. I don't. I don't know if your generation. I don't know if this one's still on TV or not. Folgers Coffee. Yep. AJ, you got to sing it. Best part of waking up. Folgers in your cup. Yeah. You can't. Two pieces. Alright, I got some other ones here. Okay, Nationwide Insurance. All these insurance companies got to be right there with the Bears jersey. Nationwide Insurance. 
That's good. You get two pieces. Get up here. Okay, here's another one that might be challenged. I'll take two different answers for this one. You might know some of the words, and you might know just like the main chorus, but meow mix. Meow mix. Maybe if some of you hear it, you'll go like, oh yeah, I've heard that before. Nobody? Nobody knows meow mix? Any of the adults? Okay, go for it. Nice. You get three pieces of candy. I, I also, I also would have accepted meow 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 meow. <laughs> That's the other part of it. How about Kit Kat? Kit Kat candy bar. Green shirt. Break me off a piece of that Kit Kat bar. Oh, do you know more than that? That's only part of it. Who? Anyone know the rest of it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I heard it. I heard it. Come on up. You both can come and give me candy. It's it. Give me a break. Give me a break. Break me off a piece of that Kit Kat bar. That's the whole thing. Okay, McDonald's. Oh, yeah. That's it. <laughs> okay, uh, Huggies, diapers. Huggies diapers, I can give you a hint at the beginning. Mommy, wow! <laughs> I heard it! Abby, was that you? Yeah, that's it. Good job. You get, you get two. You get three for that one. That was awesome. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? That's a show, not a commercial, but anyone? Yeah? No, that's good. She got it. That's it. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Won't you be mine? Good. All right. So, anyways, that's all I got. That, you guys caught, caught the point, right? Music really helps it stick things in the mind. It's like a little, when you get a little sticker or a little pebble in your shoe, it's just there and it kind of bothers you and you can't get it out. Those little earworms, we call them sometimes. You think about uh, in the Bible, remember, God made 150 different songs in the book of Psalms. Uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, Colossians 1, 15 through 19 were believed to actually have been early hymns in the church. But all of this begs the question. We now know the reason why God wants us to sing, but this begs the million dollar question Do you sing? We know God wants us to sing. Do you sing? Some people are more inclined to singing than others, but regardless, do you sing? Do you worship God by singing? There's lots of reasons why people like to sing. Right? It's entertaining. It can be fun. I mean, maybe, I mean, probably all of us at one point have probably sung Jingle Bells, Batman Smells, Robin Laid an Egg, Batmobile Lost a Wheel, and Joker Got Away, something like that. Right? It's funny or entertaining. When you watch movies, we're moved by music. We love music. I mean, can you imagine trying to watch Star Wars with no music, just dialogue? All right, just think about that. Next time you watch one of those Star Wars movies, like if the music wasn't there, if John Williams had never been born, it just wouldn't move you the same. Music really moves us. Music is functional. Uh, 
people often use it to work. If you think back to historically, um, Africans uh, who were slaves would often write what we call now spirituals, and they used them a lot in working, passing the time. People use music when they exercise. The military has often used music in the past. As you can think about drum, uh, fife, and bugles to sound the alarm, to help lead and send signals. Music's an emotional outlet. Think about funerals, weddings, patriotism. Uh, one person I read described music as the language of feeling, about words. Music is so powerful the way God created it. It impacts us physiologically. It impacts our bodies. We enjoy it. It relaxes us. And it's fascinating to think about that music is just vibrations, frequencies in the air that your, your eardrum picks up and then it turns into a chemical signal. It's amazing the way God created it. Universities all over the country do studies on the impact of music. You think about just the difference of feeling you have from a major chord to a minor chord to a diminished chord. Right? There's, just, there's something inside you that says, ah, this feels encouraging, uplifting, happy. This, this, this feels kind of somber, sad, and then it's kind of ugly. It's very unsettled, right? It just leaves this icky feeling in you, right? And so music just has this impact on its tempo, how fast or slow the music can affect your mood as well. That's why there's so many different genres of music, rock and roll, classical, country, you name it. It has a powerful effect. One of the effects we see in music early on in the Bible is 1 Samuel 16. Remember King Saul, he was troubled, had this uh, troublesome spirit that was disturbing him, and he called for David to play music for him. I have been with many of people who are uh, senile, growing, going through dementia, Alzheimer's, and it's so hard for them to communicate verbally anymore, but the moment you start singing, something clicks in their brain. They can sing, they can communicate again all of a sudden. Their memory comes back alive. God has created music to be so powerful. So there's a lot of reasons why we like to sing, but oftentimes in church, particularly, there's a lot of reasons people give to not sing. Here's the two main reasons why people don't sing in church. First reason First reason people don't sing is because they don't have a reason to sing at all. They don't have a reason to sing. In other words, to say they're not, they're not changed. They're not born again. They've not been impacted by the gospel. Amazing grace? Not so amazing. Don't care. That was the way I was in, in, my, in my own personal life. High school, college. I grew up in church all my life. I remember one particular Sunday in Kansas, back in Kansas, sitting there, standing next to my dad on a Sunday morning. I wasn't singing. My dad looked over to me and whispered, why aren't you singing? I'm just thinking about the words. Lie. I didn't want to sing. I didn't care. Could be that you've just never been transformed by Jesus. And so you don't. You just don't care to sing. The other reason, though, could be that you're not dwelling on the Word of Christ. You're not dwelling richly on the Word of God. You don't think about it much. You don't spend time with it. And so you're not really thankful. We read in Colossians chapter 3 that the heart 
of uh, somebody who sings, who's dwelling on the word of God, springs forth in thankfulness to God. Those who don't sing, guarantee it, are not thankful people. Not thankful. There's a lot of excuses I've heard. You've probably heard them too. Maybe you've said them. I know, I just, you don't understand, Tyson. I, I just, I don't sing because I, I, I just don't really like it. Or, I'm not really good at it. I mean, I hear the people on the stage singing. They, they sound pretty good, but eh, I just not. I don't know. I don't sing in the choirs at school. I just, no, I just don't like to sing. Or maybe somebody unfortunately told you you're not a good singer, so you were discouraged. <laughs> like, yeah, I, just, I was embarrassed. Some people might even think, well, singing's one way to worship Tyson, but I connect with God in other ways. Just not. Well, here would be my responses. Here would be the biblical responses to those excuses. First, singing is a matter of obedience. Singing is a matter of obedience. We have been saved to be a kingdom of priests, is what 1 Peter chapter 2 says. And the priests in the Old Testament did what? They sang. They proclaimed the excellencies of God who called them out of, mar uh, out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we do that not just in word, but in song. Second thing I'd say is singing isn't about you. If you're conscientious about your voice, or even if you've been discouraged by someone before, singing's not about you. You don't have to have a pretty voice to sing. It's about calling attention to God. Third, singing is a matter of service to God. Not just to him, but also to others. We have that vertical response and a horizontal response. Matthew 20, verse 28, Jesus gives us the example. He came here not to be served, but to serve. And if we ought to grow, be like our Savior and follow in his footsteps, we should don that mantra as well. I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve. And if God says I do that through singing, then I'm going to do that Singing is not about the heart. I'm sorry, singing is about the heart. Not art. It doesn't matter if you don't sing well. Something you can grow in, everyone can grow in singing. I, I, guess what? You guys aren't good at a lot of things. <laughs> I'm not good at a lot of things. If you are offended by that, then you just got some humble pie, okay? We all need that once in a while. There's a lot of things we're not good at, and we have to grow at them. That's just normal. We're not perfect. If you're not great at evangelism, that doesn't excuse you from evangelizing. You've got to grow at it. If you're not good at forming spiritual disciplines in your life, Bible reading and praying, you've got to work on it, just like everybody else has to work on it. You're not good at practicing the one another's, or you're not very much of an encourager, you've got to work on it. You're not that great of a singer. Work on it. Nobody's asking you to go sing opera. Nobody's asking you to go take your show on the road. But it's okay to work on singing on pitch, singing in time. That's a good thing. You don't want to be a distraction. But man, even if somebody sings with a joyful noise, and I mean noise, it's still worship. And when I hear somebody who's just genuinely worshiping the Lord and they can't carry a tune, I just thank the Lord and it makes me worship all the more. Makes me worship all the more. Don't fear man. 
sometimes you excuse yourself from singing because you're looking over at that cute girl or cute boy next to over in the aisle and you're like, well, I don't want them to hear me. I'm embarrassed. I don't want people to make fun of me. I don't know what people think. Don't fear man. Fear God. In one sense, there's just an audience of one. You're supposed to be singing to the Lord. At the same time, we're just supposed to be singing to each other. We're supposed to serve one one another. But don't think about other people. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, if you're a genuine born-again believer, it means you have become a singer. Singing is about God. It's not about you. It's about engaging your whole person, your mind, and your emotions in declaring God's excellencies. God created everyone with a voice to communicate in speech and in song for His glory. We reflect God's glory as image bearers when we obey your voice. I really like this. This came from pastor music leader Bob Coughlin. He says, the singing in your church may be dreadful. Your voice might sound like a cross between a beached whale and an alley cat and heat. The singing might make you feel uncomfortable. Those who lead the singing in your church might even do it poorly. And if there's anything we can do to change the situation, we should. But our confidence and comfort in singing comes from this. Jesus, our great high priest, makes all our offerings acceptable to God through his perfect life of obedience and his perfect sacrifice of atonement. The Father loves our singing not only because it's sincere, but because when offered through faith, it sounds just like his beloved son. Jesus is the reason why we sing. He's the one who gives us a song to sing, and it's for him. We do it through him and for him. We're all called to sing, not just to the Lord, but to each other. So let me pray, and then we're going to practice that. We're going to sing take one song together. It's at the back of your handout. We're going to sing to the Lord and sing to one another. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. It is so needed. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to develop an appetite for your word, to be hungry for it, just like we hunger for real physical food. Jesus, you said that man does not live by bread alone, but by the, every word that comes forth from God. I pray that we would feel that spiritually, that we would feel spiritually hungry and famished when we are not dwelling richly on your word. And Lord, we just thank you. The promise of this verse is that when we do that, it will spring forth into teaching and admonishing and singing for those who truly know Christ. Lord, I pray for anybody here who does not know you, who has never truly been born again, that they would think about the fruit of their life. They would cause that this text would cause them to examine whether or not they are singing out of a heart of gratitude, and that it would cause them to run to Jesus, to ask for that new heart, to ask for forgiveness, to be saved, and join in the great choir, the great multitude of believers singing your praises. We just ask for your blessing, Lord. I just, this, the gospel is, is scattered, but Lord, only you can make it grow and take root. So Father, please encourage us as we mo- move on from this evening to be singers, 
to, to keep our mind and gaze upon you and the priority of bringing attention to you with our voices. We thank you for your grace and your love, for we do not deserve it. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to sing holy, holy, holy.